I'm Carrie Miller, and this week's Big Books and Bold Ideas author is Ed Yong. He's writing about how animals sense the world, and this book is just marvelous. So we thought we'd pair it with a show about the science of how dogs love us and why we love dogs. I'm a dedicated dog lover, and this conversation was delightful and revealing. Clive Wynn is the founding director of the Canine Science Collaboratory at Arizona State, and his book is titled For the Love of Dogs. Enjoy. Good morning. I'm Carrie Miller. This is NPR News. And this hour is exactly the break you need from a week of congressional infighting and electoral politics. If you hang out with me on Twitter, you might have caught glimpses of my dog, Dara. There's a photo over there right now at Carrie NPR. We've had many dogs in our lives, all of them adopted from humane societies. But Dara is the most exceptional. She has a sky-high EQ, emotional intelligence, and maybe you've had a dog in your life like that, too. So empathetic, so connected to you, so loving. So what's the science behind the way that we bond with dogs? Do they love us the way we think? How do we give our dogs the best lives possible? As our guest joins us, I'd love to hear from you. Have you had an exceptional dog in your life? One that you had an unusually close bond with. Tell me a bit about that bond and then tell me the kind of insight that that bond gave you into how dogs see the world and see your family. I'm looking for stories of that exceptional dog in your life, one that you had an unusually close bond with. And then talk to me a little bit this morning about that bond. And then maybe that bond gives you some insight into the way dogs see the world. 651-227-6000. Anywhere in the upper Midwest, 800-242-2828. On Twitter, where, yes, there are many, many photos of dogs. You're welcome. It's a Friday. You can indulge in this all weekend. It's at Carrie NPR. Dr. Clive Wynn is with us. He's a psychologist at Arizona State University, specializes in canine behavior. He's the author of Dog is Love, Why and How Your Dog Loves You. He joins us today from Tucson. Clive, welcome. It's good to have you on the show. Carrie, great to be with you. Thank you for inviting me on. So as you hear that I am suggesting as I talk about my dog, Dara, that she has an especially empathetic personality. So I I see her adjust to whatever kind of vibes are going on in the household. So I want to ask you about dog personalities. What have you observed about the way personalities develop in dogs depending on the environments that they're in? Sure. Well, I think most of our dogs are born. Their genetic material gives them the potential to form strong, loving relationships, not just with people, but really with almost any species, so long as they meet individuals from that species early enough in life. But then the form that that takes in any particular dog depends on their experiences of life. And uh, back in the 1950s, when people had different attitudes to these kinds of things, experiments were done where dogs were raised, puppies were raised without any contact with people at all. Oh my gosh. And if they didn't meet any people at all for the first three months of life, then those puppies grew up to be little wild animals that never wanted to have relationships with people. But on the other hand, of course, most of us only ever meet dogs that have grown up around people. And if they've grown up around gentle people, Uh, then those dogs have a very, very rich 
loving bond with our species, which I think is one of the most wonderful things we have in our lives is these amazing animals that just look to us for guidance and leadership and, and love. Um, of course, dogs that grow up in tougher circumstances, things can work out differently, but I'm, I'm optimistic about dogs, Kerry. I'm, I'm always impressed by how dogs who've really had tough times still find a way to come back if they meet the right person. They can still find a way to form a bond. I think that's true. I mean, I, I volunteered at humane societies and you see a dog come in that did not have the love or the, or the circumstances you would want and somebody goes home and adopts them and two years later they're back saying, this dog has completely, seamlessly entered into our, our lives and our household. Dogs adjust, don't they? Absolutely, absolutely, Kerry. I mean, it's it's quite common to meet people, and their they and their dog have such a loving bond that you can't help thinking, well, you know, these these two must have been together since <laughs> one of them was a puppy, right? <laughs> and yet, you know, oftentimes you ask a few questions, say, no, 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 I picked, you know, this dog's now, let's say, eight years old. I picked her up when she was six years old. She came from a bad place, and she was a little shy and scared around me and my family for the first month or two. But for a long time now, we've just been utterly inseparable. I mean, that's a very common story, right? A lot of people have that tale to tell, and uh, and it's a a wonderful thing. And it's and it's because it's built into the makeup of dogs to a quite remarkable degree, built into their very biology that they want and need to form strong emotional bonds. Yeah, let's say, we'll get into that, Clive. I want to grab a call because we have a lot of people on the phone sure. lines here to Rochelle yeah. in Grand Marais, Minnesota. Rochelle, you called first, and I'm glad you did. Tell me about your dog. Oh. Good morning. Well, my dog is uh, Maggie, and she's 13 and a half years old. She's a dachshund, and I am just very excited to be able to share our story because of her age and because of our story um, our bond is extremely strong. Uh, she is exceptional in her behavior and her non-verbal uh, communication skills that she has with me. It's it's an actually very incredible. She's a very smart dog. And, and Rochelle, did you get her as a puppy or did you adopt her when she was a little older? Uh, she was, yeah, I bought her from a breeder, which is first. A first for me, I grew up on a hobby farm where we rescued animals. And, <laughs> right. Uh, loved and lost many, many times. But, yes, I purchased her from a breeder, uh, not a puppy mill, of course, but, yeah, a breeder when she was just two months old. So she's been with uh -huh. me since she's been a baby. And, you know, we joke in the house I have two small children, and I, <laughs> I honestly cannot play hide-and-seek because she will follow me wherever I go, and her, noise, <laughs> her nose will be pointed in the direction of where I'm hiding. <laughs> That's pretty cute. Well, she's a dachshund, not a pointer, but still she <laughs> knows what she's doing. Clive, Rochelle said she's brilliant, and she said that uh, she and her dog have a, an advanced nonverbal communication. Let's talk about dog yeah. intelligence, because you you say some interesting things about this in your new book. Well, so, so, so there's a sense in which I'm skeptical about claims of super intelligence in dogs. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't honestly think that dogs are stupid. And I certainly do believe that when a person and a dog live together for an extended period in an intimate, loving relationship, that they do become extremely sensitive to the things that each other are up to. In the book, Dog is Love, 
where I'm arguing against the idea that dogs have exceptional intelligence. What I'm getting at is there are scientists who have claimed that the secret of dogs' success in human society is that dogs have ways of understanding people that other animals cannot share. And I don't believe that. I believe that any animal, not many animals, if they live in close proximity with people and are dependent on people for the fulfillment of all of their daily needs, many animals become extremely sensitive to the things that people are doing. And so although I don't, I'm not in favor of people having wild animals as pets, I don't think it's, a, generally speaking, a good idea. Nonetheless, it is possible. And when you meet people who do live alongside wild animals as pets, they clearly do have a strong level of communication with each other, like most of us see much more commonly with our dogs. What makes dogs really exceptional and what is the secret of their success, because dogs are a really, really successful species of animal. There could be a billion dogs on the surface of this planet, which wow. is quite amazing. Wow. Yeah, a billion with a B. It's amazing. Uh, it, it's, it's not so much in their intelligence, although there is intelligence. That's not what's exceptional. What's exceptional is this need, drive, desire to form these strong emotions emotional bonds. And it's because we recognize how they love us that we in turn feel inclined to care for them. And it's our caring for them that makes them so successful. So I'm not denying that there is an intelligence in dogs. I'm only trying to trying to argue with people who would claim that there's something unique about the intelligence of dogs. I don't think it's unique. I think other animals can show that kind of intelligence too. Abby says on Twitter, I lost a close friend after a short illness last month. Ziggy could sense my grief. He's brought me his toys. He's laid his head on my lap for hours, looking up at me at a time when I just needed to quietly mourn. He helped me more than I can express. So I alluded to this too, Clive, that when there are different things happening in our household, I know that our dog, Dara, senses that and adjusts her behavior. If one of us is sick and, you know, in bed, that's who she's with. How do dogs do that? How do they sense wh- well, Carrie, how they you're, need you're, to be? Yeah, well, right. I mean, we we simply don't know. We simply don't know how they do it. But the fact that they do it is abundantly demonstrated. It's not just stories that people tell. It's not just a few anecdotes. You can do you can do scientific studies on this. And there is a, a very simple and very telling little thing that some researchers in England did that anybody who's interested can just try for themselves. I mean, you just need to sit down on the sofa and pretend to cry. Just pretend to cry. And your dog... <laughs> Your dog will be very, I mean, I've tried it with my dog Zephos and I I felt compelled to stop doing it because it was clear that she was really upset. I wasn't really upset. I was only pretending. And the poor thing, the poor thing was really upset. So we had to stop doing it. Um, But I think if anybody who wants to did it once, it wouldn't be cruelty to just do it once just to show the the sensitivity that our dogs have to our emotional states. it's it's really amazing and it's been shown again and again and again how do they do it how do they do it we don't we don't fully understand how they do it what it is they're responding to but they they absolutely do it they absolutely do it they're they're so sensitive and so concerned their concern uh we've been doing an experiment where we put we ask people to climb into a box 
which is a little bit like a coffin. Uh-huh. <laughs> from inside, from inside our our box, we have the owners cry out in distress, and we've given the box a door that can be very easily opened from the outside、mm-hmm. to see whether the dogs will rescue their owners from this from this box. And the interesting thing is. That a lot of dogs are not smart enough to understand how to open the box, and we can test that independently by putting some food in the box and see if they'll open it to get the food out. So a lot of dogs cannot figure out how to open it, but those dogs that know how to open it, if their owner is in there and the owner is in distress, then they go straight ahead and they open that box because、mm-hmm. they 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 care, they really care, and they feel they have to help their person if they possibly can. Clive Wynn is the founding director of the Canine Science Collaboratory at Arizona State University, and he's the author of this terrific new book, "Dog Is Love." We're talking about this exceptional emotional bond that we have with our dogs, and what Clive says is a revolution in canine science understanding. Dogs, and it's upsetting some of the things that researchers thought for a long time about canine science. Six five one two two seven six thousand to tell me about the exceptional dog in your life, one that you've had an unusually close bond with. Tell me about the bond, and tell me about the kind of insight that that bond gave you. About the way dogs see the world, I know it's a bit of a mystery. But if you love dogs, you spend a lot of time trying to figure out how your dog sees you and sees the world. So, eight hundred two four two two eight two eight six five one two two seven six thousand. If you get a busy signal, try us back, or you can reach me on Twitter, where you can also text me a picture of your dog. It's at Carrie NPR to Anna Maria. In Saint Cloud. Hey, Anna Maria. Hi. Glad you called. Hi. How are you? Good morning. All right. What's、Go、your、on. story about your dog? Well, I had a dog that I got from the Humane Society nine years ago. He was a repo that I called because he was brought back because he was very destructive.、Mm-hmm. Um, so when I got him, he was eight months old, and、um, yeah, he needed a lot of training, but he got a lot better. And to be honest, I was telling the Person that I talked to before that I have dogs all my life because I was an only child. So my siblings were fairy kids, and、uh, <laughs> this last dog was like my soulmate dog, if that exists.、Um, he knew how I felt. He knew when I was sad, when I was happy. He knew when I was going to get mad because he did something in the house.、Um, And he was diagnosed with、uh, T cell lymphoma in December, and he only lasted a month. No,、oh, Anna Maria, I'm sorry. Yeah, it was horrible. And to be honest, I think he was waiting for me to get ready.、Mm-hmm. <sighs> because through all that hassle, because he had chemotherapy, I took him to holistic doctors. I mean, we did everything we could. And at the end, when I was on the phone trying to find somebody to come and put him to sleep because he was suffering, that's when he died、hmm. at my house, just the two of us. So I think he was just waiting until I was ready to let him go to say, "Okay, now I can do it." Clive, here's you know here's the reality: if you love dogs and you want dogs in your life, the reality is you probably are going to outlive. Your dogs. I know you've thought about this. How, how do、yeah. we how do we approach this? 
Well, first, Anna Maria, I just want to say I'm so sorry for your loss. I mean, sometimes it feels like the pain of losing them is such a pain that it cancels out all the wonderful days and months and years that we had them in our lives. But, you know, I, I, I hope you don't believe that because, you know, those were such wonderful times. And and I think that how we feel about our dogs and losing our dogs, I mean, there are people who are so miserable in life that they don't want to have love in their life, not love with dogs and not love with other people or whatever other animals. Some people love cats, right? <laughs> but at the end of the day, that's what life is for. And, and every time you love another living being, it carries with it the risk that that will lead to pain because you will lose that love one way or another. But I think we have to, you know, we have to pick ourselves up and and go on and remember all those wonderful, I, I think you said 13 years, you know, the wonderful times that we had with our dogs. And um, and and it, it, it makes it makes life worth living, even though it comes to a painful end at the end. So it's it's a it's a wonderful magical thing. Yeah. Clive, you mentioned Zephos, your dog Zephos or Zephos. Yeah. Zephos. Okay. Zephos. Yeah. Uh, you say that he was meant to be yours. She, she was meant yeah. to be yours from yeah. the moment you saw her at the dog shelter. Why? Yeah. So, so this is a feeling I have. I have with Zephos, who came into our lives about seven years ago. She was already one year old. And when I think back to when I was a kid and the dog who was the most important dog of my childhood, Benji, when I try and remember what what it was like when we found him, I have this feeling that we went in both cases, we got these dogs from animal shelters. And in both cases, I just have this feeling that when we went and we looked at dogs, there was just in each case one dog from the many dogs who were there who somehow spoke to us, who yeah. somehow, and I'm, uh, this is without my scientific hat on, of course, I'm talking <laughs> just about my gut feeling about the experience, but I think it's a feeling a lot of people have had when you look at several puppies or you look at several dogs. It feels like one of them speaks to you. That's right. And putting my scientist hat back on now, I would love to know what that really is, what actually happens there when somebody has that that instant sense of emotional connection with a particular individual. I would really love to know what that is just for my own curiosity. But also, ultimately, all the science I do is directed to trying to improve the lives of dogs and people together. That's that's my purpose in life is trying to give dogs and people the best lives together we can. I love that. And when I look at where are dogs in difficulties, there are over 4 million dogs in animal shelters in the United States today. So there are a lot of dogs living in a very difficult circumstance trying to find new homes. And if I understood how it is that sometimes a dog makes that emotional connection with a person, I could maybe teach more dogs how to express their potential for love, and that would help them find homes, and there wouldn't be so many dogs in shelters. So I want to know what that is just because of my curiosity, because it's such a powerful experience, but also because I think it's a knowledge that would be useful to to helping dogs in our communities. That that's a that's a pretty startling number: four million dogs in in uh, animal shelters. So, how do you feel about the breeder system and adopting from it or going into a humane society and 
rescuing a dog from there? What's your thought well, on I, that? I, well, I understand that people have preferences for certain sizes, shapes, colors, whatever of dogs, right? I un, I understand that there are people who want a big woolly dog, and there are people who want a little a little dog that will jump into their lap and so on. But I I do find it sad that people get quite so fixated on forming an interest in a particular breed of dog, because the truth is. There are a lot of great dogs out there from other breeds than the breed you think you're looking for. And for that matter, of course, a lot of great dogs out there for, from no particular breed at all who right. are mixtures of various kinds. And we know that mixed breed dogs tend to be healthier than purebred dogs. On average, a mixed breed dog lives two years longer than any of the pure breeds that it's mixed from. Uh, and there are a variety of reasons for that. And then, you know, I'm not I'm not saying to everybody, you must go and get your next dog from a shelter because, hey, maybe the shelter in your neighborhood doesn't have very much and doesn't have very many dogs of the particular class of dog that you're looking for in terms of shape and size and whatever. Uh, but nonetheless, I hope everybody would, would take a look because there are a lot of great dogs among those four million dogs in shelters around the country. There are a lot of really beautiful animals, and maybe maybe they're not the color that you first thought you wanted, and maybe they're not the exact size you first thought you wanted, but give yourself a chance to get to know them. They're all individuals, right, just like us human beings. All dogs are individuals, and just because of the particular breed that they come from, that doesn't guarantee they're not like breeds of dogs and not like brands of car, right? If I was looking for a new car, and I'm here in Arizona, I could test drive the car in Arizona, and if for some reason fate took me up to St. Paul, I could purchase that vehicle in St. Paul, fairly confident that if I've test driven a Toyota in Arizona and buy my Toyota in Minnesota, it'll be the same thing, right? We trust Toyota and all the other car manufacturers that they have quality control, so it doesn't really matter the exact – if you're buying a new car, it doesn't really matter the exact one, right? They're all going to be the same. Well, that's not true of living things. Living things are not like that. Even purebred dogs are not like that. People have done studies on the personalities of different breeds of dog. And once you strip away certain kind of behaviors like herding breeds of dogs will want to herd, pointing breeds of dog will want to point. Once you strip away those things, those behaviors that were bred into certain breeds of dogs for practical reasons, which for the vast majority of us are no longer relevant. Very few of us have border collies, have sheep that we want them to herd around, right? That, that's, that's pretty darn rare nowadays. Uh, once you strip away those particular behaviors and you look at just general classes of personality like playfulness and all that kind of intelligence, all that more general stuff, the differences within a breed are just as big as the differences between the breeds. So you really do have to get to know the individual, just like when you're making new human friends. You get to know individuals, right? Um, so the same is true for dogs. You need to give yourself a chance to get to know individuals. And um, when you do that, the shelter animals include some beautiful animals who make fantastic companions. So glad you – So I'm really glad we talked about that as part of the conversation. Linda called to say, I had a dog, Max, when my kids were young. He was just the best. He would break up fights between my kids. He only <laughs> let people come into our house if he recognized them. He would even come over when I got my kids together for a group hug. He heard those <laughs> words, and he wanted in on the action. Um, oh, that's beautiful. 
to the phones to Bonnie in Minneapolis. Hey, Bonnie, good to have you on the line. Thanks for waiting. What's your story? No, no problem. Thank you. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Go ahead. Uh, thank you so much for hosting this, especially after such a long, uh, tumultuous news Agreed. week. Agreed. So this is a Agreed. great show. Um, my dog's name is Dobby, as in the Harry Potter character, because she looks like Dobby. Um, but um, I found her a few years ago running around in the snow, took her to animal control, and her owners never claimed her. She's a nine-pound terrier poodle mix, and um, took her home, and at first she had really bad attachment issues, and she Mm. needed to be held all the time, but slowly we built trust, and she really learned to um, just accept love, and she knew that she was home, but... um, why I wanted to call in was because I have type 1 diabetes, and um, I know that dogs can be trained to do this, but Dobby's never been trained to do this. However, about a month ago, I was sleeping, and um, my blood sugar went low in the middle of the night, but I didn't know it. And Dobby woke me up. She was standing on the ground next to the bed, and she woke me up by kind of whining and whimpering. And when huh. I woke up, she nudged my purse with her nose, and my purse contains my juice and my blood testing meter. And so I got out my blood testing meter and checked my blood sugar, and I was low. And once I drank the juice, she came right back into bed and fell asleep. But um, has I, she has she been trained for this, Bonnie? No, but I know that dogs can smell right. um, a specific chemical that we produce, and I think she's just seen me do that. So many times that, you know, whenever I, she smells that smell, her mom drinks a juice. You yeah. know? So I think, uh, Whoa. So I think wow. she knew. Yeah. yeah she, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, Clive. Bonnie, thanks for the call. Clive, there's a lot to talk about with that because I've wanted to ask you about the way dogs are being trained in medical situations. So let's hold that thought for a minute. We'll get a look at the latest news. And when when we come back, we'll talk about Bonnie's experience, what Clive knows about the way dogs are being trained to respond to medical situations. And more of your calls and questions. One of the things I want to know from Clive is the research that says that dogs respond, many dogs respond, as quickly to praise as they do to food. What does that tell us? 651-227-6800-242-2828 to talk to us this morning about that exceptional bond that you have with your dog. And on Twitter, where it is just a rolling feed of great photos at Carrie NPR. Back to our conversation, Clive Wynn with us, a psychologist, founding director of the Canine Science Collaboratory at Arizona State University, and the author of the new book, Dog is Love. We're asking to hear your experiences with uh, your dogs, maybe the dog that you have the unusually close bond with. And Clive, before we went to news, we heard from Bonnie about her dog responding to a drop in her blood sugar and... Bonnie's saying that the dog hadn't really been trained for that. What do you what do you make of that experience? Well, that's that's wonderful and fascinating, Kerry. So I'm sure everybody knows that dogs can be trained to detect all sorts of things. Right. I mean, dogs detect explosives, they detect drugs. You can train a dog to detect all sorts of things because they have these amazingly wonderful sensitive noses. And so they can sniff out things where we're not aware that there's any smell to be sniffed out at all. And yes, dogs are trained 
to uh, detect that somebody's uh, going hyperglycemic, that a diabetic is getting into trouble, and the dog can, that, you know, you and I, we don't smell on our diabetic friends that anything's happening to them, and they don't smell it themselves. But our dogs, with their wonderful sensitive noses, they can smell it, and they can be trained to respond to what they detect. That training usually takes several months. It's a it's a really big deal. It's not at all easy to train dogs to do that. So uh, what's absolutely stunning about Bonnie's dog is that Bonnie tells us nobody trained uh, Dobby to do this, that Dobby just figured it out on her own. And that I have occasionally heard secondhand of dogs doing that kind of thing. But uh, I, I must confess I have largely been skeptical about it because it just seems so amazing. But I'm, I'm sure Dobby's telling us the um i'm sure bonnie's telling us the truth about what's happening here this is this is absolutely wonderful to hear i will add a proviso that i don't think anybody should should rely on the assumption that their dog is going to figure this kind of thing out on their own i think that would be a little dangerous uh but it's absolutely wonderful to hear that that dobby did this and and i don't doubt that it is distressful for the dog when her mistress goes into a diabetic state and that then motivates Dobby Mm. to do what she can, to work hard to figure out, is there anything I can do here to help? As I said earlier, we've been doing studies on, on whether dogs will help. And a lot of dogs just have difficulty figuring out what to do. We see that when a, their person is in trouble, mm-hmm. most dogs are very upset about that. But the majority of dogs cannot figure out what needs to be done. So Bonnie is very lucky to have a dog who loves her. That's a common experience. But that on top of that, her dog is smart enough to figure out what needs to be done. That's very rare. I know, to connect. truly wonderful. Right, yeah. to connect that awareness to now the next thing I need to do yeah, is that's show really her. What did I, wow. Uh, to the phones to yeah. Jody in Stillwater. Hi, Jody. Actually, sounds Hello. like you also have a story about a dog responding to a medical need. Yes. Well, I live with a rescued parrot, my cats, and my dog. <laughs> uh-huh. and, uh, yes. And no, I say I'm one cat shy of the crazy cat lady. But, <laughs> uh-huh. um, uh-huh. but a few years back, I was pretty sick. And every single one of my pets, the parrot, I told my friends, was it's like he was looking into my soul and seeing a devil. He was petrified. Hmm. My cats all would start sleeping on my pillow and but my dog Max would not leave my side. He if I sat in a chair he had to have his head on my feet. He had to have his paws touching me. He refused to ride in the back of the car anymore. He had to ride in the front with his head on my lap or touching me. He always had to be touching me. Which was really odd. As it turned out I uh shoot, I was full of uh cancer. I had leukemia. You didn't know and it every, though. I had no idea. I just, I thought I was really sick, that's all. But my pets, every, and I said to my friends, my animals are all acting like they're nuts. And I said, I even chuckled. I said, gee, you think I should worry? You know what they say, that they can detect cancer. I actually said that. Hmm. It's crazy, but every one of them did. And Max, my dog, totally was glued to me. And totally. S- and still is? 
Jody, as you as you've gotten treatment for this? Um, yes, I'm in remission. So now if you ever act weird, it's like, what do you know, Max? Do you know something I don't know? <laughs> Did I call the doctor? You're scaring me. So <laughs> start to oh, demand dear. to ride in the front seat of the car. I know yeah. I'm in trouble. Yeah. But, oh, so dear. Clive, what I, are you? What, they were trying to tell me. And right. I, I think, Jody, I want to give Clive a, a chance to have some insight on what may have been going on here. So the thing, Jody Kerry, is is that our animals are much better observers than we are. When we hang out with our friends and with our families, we talk to each other and we're very easily distracted by what people say. How are you feeling? I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. Our dogs don't, our cats, our parrots, whatever, they don't understand what we're saying. So they look at us much more closely. And when I say look, I don't just mean that they use their eyes especially our dogs, are also using their noses, which we hardly use at all, right? I mean, we effectively, we humans have almost no noses compared to other animals. So, and they sniff, and clearly, as our bodies become diseased, the smell of our bodies changes. Mm-hmm. And our animals are attending to that. And, and somebody who's not well, even before they realize they're not well, they often carry themselves differently. They, they, they walk differently. They wow. carry their body differently. And we don't notice this on each other most of the time. You know, if somebody hasn't actually got a limp, we don't really notice how they're walking. But our animals... Because they're cut off from all the babble that we say to each other, so often meaningless babble, because all they have to go on is what we look like, how we move, what we smell like, what sounds we make, they pay much closer attention. And so they notice a lot of things that we don't notice in ourselves or in each other. And that gives them a sort of superpower, if you like, (laughs) uh, because they're cutting right through to what our bodies are actually going through. And then if they detect that you're in a disease state, well, then they become very anxious because they love you and you are very, very important to them, emotionally important and practically important. You know, the, I mean, it's yeah. not the only thing on a dog's mind, but the dog has to be worried about what happens to me if I don't <laughs> right. have her anymore, right? It's, <laughs> it's that's, survival, that's, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so, Clive, tell me about this. I, I think many of us who have dogs and love dogs would say that, you know, my dog, my Darrow will do anything for a treat. So I was surprised to see the research that says many dogs respond as much to praise as they do to food. What, what does that reveal? Well, right, Kerry. So the thing is that when we're when when I'm hanging out with my dog Sephos, she's happy to hang out with me. If I then grab the treats, she's very very interested in the treats, and that makes uh-huh. it seem like maybe she loves the treats more than she loves me, right? <laughs> but actually, that's not a well controlled experiment, Kerry, because when I grab the treats, it's not a choice. The Zephos isn't now given a choice between hanging with me or hanging with the treats. She's got a choice between hanging with me and there are no treats or hanging with me plus treats. So that's not a fair comparison. We have done studies where we look at dogs who are home alone all day, which is not something I'm happy about, but it happens that there are dogs who are alone all day for eight or nine or ten hours while their human is out of work. And we set up a very simple choice situation. We leave the dog home alone all day and with no food all day. There's water, but there's no food. Then when the human comes home, we set up by the front door a very simple choice. Here on the left is your human. 
Here on the right is a bowl of food, <laughs> equal distances from the door.、Uh-huh. We have an assistant open the door. Of course, the dog has heard the person come home, doesn't quite understand why the door isn't opening straight away. Has come to the door, is ready, and now has this choice. What does the dog choose? Most dogs, they see the bowl of food, they haven't eaten for eight, nine, ten hours, but it's. Interacting with their human being—that's most. That、important. is remarkable. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, do they eat after a little while?、Yes. Of course they do.、Yeah. Of course they do. But the number one thing when the door opens, you gotta say hi to your human. That's the most <laughs> important thing in that moment. And there's a researcher in Emory University in Atlanta. Who has trained dogs to lie super still in brain scanners so that he can see which parts of their brain are activated and how much when you show the dog different things? And what he finds is, you show the dog a small piece of sausage, and the reward centers of the brain light up. Of course they do. But you show the dog a signal that means your human is just around the corner and will be with you in a moment, and the reward centers of the brain light up even more. So we see it in a very simple behavioral experiment, and you can see it in a high-powered brain scanning device. That dogs actually find their people every bit as rewarding for most dogs, even more rewarding than a piece of food. Okay, so everybody who loves dogs and you have a dog in your household, keep that in mind, right? The dog、yeah. wants your attention, needs your attention. You know, ignoring the dog for I don't know ten hours out of eleven isn't giving your dog the best life. Well, Kerry, I mean, so this is let's can we talk about what's yeah, a good life for yeah, a dog? Yeah, let's do that. Good because there's you know I love my dog and sometimes I love I'm you know I'm foolish and sometimes I love my dog so much I want to stop on the way home at a pet store and buy her a toy. Right. But the truth is, I mean, sure, dogs love toys and dogs love treats. But the thing that they really want and need from us is just us. That's what they really want and need. They just want to spend time with us. And I think the cruelest thing that we routinely do to our dogs is leaving them alone much too much. A dog is not, you know, a dog is not some high-powered new toy that you play with in the evening when you're home, and then. When you go to work in the morning, you just switch it off, and you know I don't know whatever toy, you, whatever your latest toy is. I think the latest toy we have is one of those, one of those smart speakers, right? The smart speaker doesn't get lonely because we don't <laughs> talk to it for hours and hours on end. It's always there when we want it, and when we don't want it, it's cool just being left alone. But your dog's not like that. Your dog, you love your dog for your dog's highly social, very loving nature. That cannot be turned off. The dog cannot be unplugged when you go to work. I'm not saying your dog cannot be left alone some of the time. Of course, a dog can be left alone. Needs to learn, just like we all do, right? We all have to learn how to put up with our own company sometimes. But it's it's wrong to leave dogs alone for such long periods of time, and no amount of fancy treats and expensive dog food and toys from the pet store, none of that makes up for the pain that the dog feels. When it's isolated and alone. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be you. I know most people, unfortunately, in this world we live in, most people have to be at work for many hours a day. That's just the way it is. Fortunately, our dogs can take comfort. They love us, but they can take comfort from the company of many other people and even from other animals. Right? If you're some people, unfortunately, I'm not one, but. 
Some people have a dog and a cat who are actually really best buddies, and that works really well. Um, our dog and cat really just cannot find a way to talk to each other. <laughs> but um, what about a second dog, dog, Clive? Well, exactly, exactly, absolutely. Uh, that's what I was coming up to. So yeah, your dog can can enjoy the company of other dogs. Um, I mean, that depends. Again, it, each dog is an individual, and you just have to find out. Does my dog enjoy the company of the cat? Does my dog enjoy the company of other dogs? And dogs make other human friends really, really easily. Uh, our poor Zephos, it's almost embarrassing. We, whenever we have anything fixed around the house, if whoever it is is fixing whatever it is, has to come back for a second visit. <laughs> the first visit, she's like, oh, okay, you know, you're not part of my pack. But if they come back the next day, she's like, oh, wow, you're one of us. This is fantastic. I love you. So so you can, you know, you can have if your life doesn't allow you to get home during the day, maybe you have a neighbor or a friend who who does. And oftentimes one has friends who would love to have dogs of their own, but because of where they're living and the circumstance of their life, they're not able to. And they relish the opportunity to be a friend to your dog this and is to pop good. by and this is good. To go out to yeah. coffee together. Be creative yeah. about this, right? Take in, uh, keep yeah. in mind that your dog needs company, and if that's not you, then you look around in your in your circle of friends and your social yeah. network and find somebody who can pitch in, or, or you or get a, a second dog, or yeah, or a daycare. You know, right. there are doggy daycares oh, yeah. out there now. People have to we watch out. None of these. Yeah, their good daycares are a wonderful thing. One people need to do their due diligence because there's precious little licensing of dog daycare type places, but there are great ones out there and they can they can be wonderful for dogs. All right. I want to squeeze a couple more calls in here, but I retweeted you've got to see this picture that I just retweeted. Kristen tweeted in my best friend Ranger for the past six years, we found each other through the photo posted on a rescue site. You have to see the expression of that. On that dog's face. So I've retweeted it at Carrie NPR to the phones to John in Ely. Hi, John. Thanks so much for waiting. I'm really interested to hear about your experience with your sled dogs. What's the story? Well, um, my daughter was in Outward Bound, and um, her first job was uh, to take care of 65 Huskies. And so she she got to know (laughs) these sled dogs really well, all their names. They got to know her. Wow. and then when the dogs reach a certain age, about nine, nine and a half, something like that, depending on the dog, they retire them. And so she called me one day and she said, Dad, you're spending too much time alone. I'm a 73-year-old guy. I live uh, at the Steger Wilderness Center in the uh, summertime. Huh. I live in a tent by huh. the lake. Huh. Well, she said, uh, there's this dog coming up. His name is Jasper. He's the greatest dog in the world, and you, you need to get him. And so I did. Uh, that was my second one. I've adopted three now, and I have such a rich life with them because I'm retired. You know, I, I live with my dog. I'm with them 24 hours a day. We're never apart, and you, you can get to know each other so with, on such a different level than when I used to have dogs and I would go to work for 10 hours. Those dogs are so lucky, John, to be able to be with you for 24-7. So are you, do the dogs, are you fostering the sled dogs or are you just expanding your household of dogs when when a sled dog retires? Well, uh, I I couldn't handle two of them at a time. Uh, There's just no way. So... uh, you you shine you sign up for a short but wonderful wonderful okay. deep experience uh, 
And it's real sad, but that's what I signed up for. They're humble. They're, they're loving. And, and, and they're all different, of course. Uh, this mm. last one I got, Luna, on, uh, we were at the Steger Center on, uh, over Thanksgiving on, on uh, Black Friday. I decided to let her go. I'd never had let her off leash, but the snow was so deep I didn't think she would run. But she took off like a bullet out of a gun. And, oh, my gosh. Came back after 35 days. Oh, oh, wow. Wow, you know, 35 days. John, good good note here that I haven't asked Clive about exercise. I mean, we've talked about your dog's best life. That's got to include plenty of exercise, doesn't it, Clive? Oh, of course, of course. First, I wanted to say, John, I envy you. What a fantastic life. What a fantastic life. It's marvelous. I'm not sure I could cope with snow, <laughs> but uh, the rest of it, fantastic. Yeah, of of course, Kerry. Our, our dogs have 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 physical needs uh, i hope i i i mean maybe this is naive of me but i sort of assume that everybody understands their dog needs exercise their dog needs good nutrition their dog needs um physical care veterinary care uh i emphasize the dog's need for we could say psychological care for social care for loving care because i i worry that not everybody recognizes that but of course they have other needs too of course they do call here from lucy in Duluth. Hi, Lucy. Hi. Good morning. Um, I have one last rescue story. Good. When I was a very, I was a very young child, not more than six or seven years old. I woke up during the night with the dog pulling at me, and as I slowly kind of came to in a fog, um, it was first pushing her away, and she was insistent in yanking on me. And then I noticed that the house smelled really funny, and I was confused and I was feeling sick. But I went in to get my parents, and I couldn't wake them up. And I was crying by this time and shaking my mom, and the dog would have none of it. She just kept yanking at me, and it finally kicked in that I had instructions. If we ever had a fire or something, I should run next door and get Mr. Lift. Mm. And I did exactly that, went out of the house and banged on their house and told them right away. As soon as I said that the house smelled funny, they knew right away what it was and sent for the fire department and kept me there. And by, it was very serious. My parents were unconscious and had oh to spend gosh. a day in the hospital and wow. hypothermia. Wow. neighbors and the whole thing. And oh. I was felt guilty because I got a lot of credit growing up for saving the family, but we all knew it was the dog. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, I've, that's not the first story of that kind that I've heard. A friend of mine many years ago, her life was saved. She was living in a tower block in London and her life was saved by by her dog that woke her up. And And again, you know, the thing is that their noses are so much more sensitive, so they detect things. And what they feel inclined to do works, right? The, 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 the intelligence aspect is fairly small. The dog is in a difficult situation. What's it going to do? It's going to wake up its human. That's fairly simple. If the dog had to actually operate a fire alarm or something, <laughs> we'd be in a much more difficult situation. But because what they want and need to do is just to wake us up, and they always sleep much lighter than we do, so, uh, so they're awake much quicker when there's a problem. Our poor silly dog gets scared by something in our backyard. She has her own door to come in and out and in and out. And it may well just be a cat prowling well, around. What if it's coyotes, backyard. Clive? You have plenty well, of those be, in Arizona. It could be coyotes. It absolutely could be coyotes, Kerry. But it might just be a cat. I mean, she's that foolish that so it could be a cat. <laughs> and and I have been out. She wakes us up in the middle of the night, jumping on our heads. And, 
and the house is not on fire. Oh my gosh, I and love there's really that. nothing going on in the house in the house. <laughs> and sometimes I've even been outside in my pajamas to see if I can see anything in the back. I can't even see anything. And I'm sure whatever it is is not gonna come into the house through her doggy door. You know, if she just comes back inside, she'll be perfectly fine. But oh poor gosh. sweet thing, she can't she can't think it through and there's no calming her down. That's that's our night ruin. Do, no she, calming her down at does all. Does she go to the the collaboratory with you? Most days, so, no. Well, so the thing is that um, that uh, that it's not permitted to bring dogs inside regular university buildings, and so our collaboratory, our the space where we have people come, that's actually in a different building on a different site. I'm mainly in my office at work, and I'm not allowed to bring a dog into my office. But then I work from home. I'm a very privileged person. Yeah, I'm at home. You are. And- we, we spend our days together. Clive, this has been fun. Let's do it again sometime, okay? Absolutely, Carrie. Thank I really you. enjoyed myself. I Thank too. you. Clive Wynn is the founding director of the Canine Science Collaboratory at Arizona State University. He's the author of the book, Dog is Love. All the pay I need comes shining through his eyes. I don't need no cold water to make me realize that I love my dog. As much as I love you, do you make faith my dog will